Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're excited to share another informative podcast with you. Today, we're going to be speaking to one of our colleagues in our special risks team. So why special risks? Because they, they're classified as such because they're the debtors that need a bit more careful handling after they've slipped a little, in some cases slipped a lot. They're also the debtors that we're trying to help trade out a difficult situation and where we try to support that ongoing trade in a responsible and careful manner. So, Dave, do you want to introduce our guest, your own namesake? Yes, indeed. Well, uh, look, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to have a Mr. David Lloyd, the head of special risk on our humble podcast. Uh, Lloydie, how are you? And it is a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Freddie. I'm good, mate. It's a pleasure to be here. First time for me, so looking forward to it. I'm sure you'll be fine, Lloydie. Um, now, Mary, I believe you've got some questions to kickstart for Lloydie. Yes, we do. Lots of questions today. So, Dave, um, well, let's say Lloydie because I'm going to get confused between yeah. Finney and Lloydie. So, Lloydie, right. okay. Lloydie, some time ago you wrote a piece um, in your traders' publications about warning signs to alert us when a company might be failing. And I remember there was about 10 warning signs. Rather than go through all 10 and we'll post them after the podcast as well, could you talk us through the top three that you believe are really critical at this point in time? Yeah, sure. Well, I think in this point in time, I'm probably thinking about uh, a, a COVID-impacted uh, environment. Yeah. Um, and look, and and just around those early warning signs, before we get into things, uh, it's not just one. It, it's normally a cluster, and normally a cluster of uh, warning signs, not just one. Mm-hmm. Something else will pop up. You'll, you'll perhaps something else will come up the other way, perhaps loss making, people start to leave, they've got too much, you know, or, there's normally a few things happening around these warning signs, which when you put them all together, you know, your spider sense should be tingling a bit to say, <laughs> hang on, something's not quite right there. I thought you'd enjoy that. Yeah, I, I like that already. Yeah, that's, that's uh, great stuff. <laughs> so... So I think you know the the existing environment is is a bit surreal for me. Um, you know I think the warning signs you know I came up with before relate to a, more of a utopian uh, time where where you pursue deaths through the courts and government weren't spending billions paying employees wage paying employees wages um, as companies revenue revenues fall and banks weren't taking action on delinquent loans and non-performing companies and everything else. So, you know, that's changed now. Um, you know, what, what I'd probably like to say is that my top three are of those lot. Um, you know, I've thought about it in this environment. I think I'd start off with debt, you know, too much debt. Um, you know, generally the principle for me is if a company was struggling with struggling services debt before COVID, then, you know, I think they're certainly likely or their ability to service debt is going to worsen uh, during and after. Uh, unless you're one of those companies who's a COVID winner, um, then your revenue you know, is going to be lower and your performance is going to take a hit and you'll find it even more of a struggle to service debt and you just may not survive COVID-19 or its aftermath, you know, being a change in consumer patterns in the next, in the following six to 12 months after covid uh, companies with low or negative interest or EBITDA cover ratios or high gearing are the ones to look out for from the, from the too much debt perspective. So, so high debt and a company impacted by COVID, you know, I think you need to be really concerned or watchful, should I say. Mm. Um, 
the next one I move on to, unless you have any questions on that, was 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 generally around qualified accounts and growing concern. It's kind of the the same concept as debt. I mean, you know, if you see a company that had qualified accounts or there was growing concern, warning, or emphasis of matter uh, on, on pre-COVID, you know, in the just maybe in the June twenty reporting season, you're going to need to dig deeper. Um, because uh, you know, if they're struggling heading into COVID, then clearly, um, you know, they're they're going to struggle even more. Uh, pay close attention to the commentary from the directors as to why they say the company should still be considered as a going concern. There normally be a couple of things, uh, and a couple of things why they say that they should be considered as a going concern. You need to you need to make your own assessments on those. I've got a question, uh, Audi. What's an emphasis? Yeah. What's an emphasis of matter? What does that mean? Well, an emphasis of matter is the terminology that the um, that the auditors uh, put on their auditors' uh, commentary, mm-hmm. which they say they 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 just put an emphasis on a particular matter, oh, and I there's see. probably a couple of things. It's, it's just a terminology they use, right. Finny, really, okay. um, just to draw attention to the the going concerned commentaries. Gotcha. Um, you know, obviously, if the accounts are qualified, then you know, from, from my perspective, I don't think those accounts those those accounts can realistically be relied upon as a representation of the financial position of the company. So, you know, you should be questioning why you're continuing supporting credit on that one, on that company, I should say. Um, auditors, going concern, commentary, emphasis, of, and adding that emphasis of matter. They're normally looking to protect themselves from legal action mm-hmm. um, in the event uh, in the event something goes wrong, um, and also pay close attention to, to the basis for the concern and form your own view as to whether these actions, events, or support, usually from a lender or short shareholder, are likely to occur under a COVID environment for the company. If you're not convinced that it's going to occur, or then you should, yeah, you should really consider your position on that. So, so again, it's just having a close look at the reasons why, and then forming your own opinion on it. But be very careful where you see a company struggling with certain needing some support externally, potentially, or some events going their way to remain a going concern. And the last one was is just deteriorating payment patterns. Um, this one is more about payment terms slipping or becoming irregular or lumpy. I don't think we can ever get we can ever ignore this one as it's such an accurate indicator, first indicator of liquidity problems. Mm. Hopefully, where you find out, hopefully you find out through the grapevine as opposed to uh, being a recipient of these delayed payments. Sure. Um, the we are seeing payments to suppliers going surprisingly well under COVID. I have to say, I can I can only attribute it, attribute this to the government stimulus measures that are coming through, um, and or the ability to, for for um, for companies to defer their loan payments. Uh, the, the real issue is, is obviously going to be, as everyone knows, when the when the government largesse, should we say, or the bank supportive approach isn't isn't continued uh, beyond the first half of 2021. This is where we're going to really. Um, see some uh, some changes. Oh, yeah, it could be quite dramatic, couldn't it? Like, really, it could be quite dramatic if that government support just ends. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how it happens. So we've seen they're winding it down, yeah. but uh, 
the banks uh, the banks action is going to be key as yes. well. So basically, in terms of the top three, then if I was to summarise that for people listening, it's looking historically as well as an indicator of the future. So whether there's too much debt, um, as it being serviced, are the accounts qualified? Is there any going concern commentary that causes you to stop and think, is there a problem here? And of course, the big one, a deterioration in payment patterns. If we look out for those three, that's a pretty good indicator of a potential failing of a company or a company getting into trouble. Yeah, that's right, Mary. It's about understanding a company, understand, understanding which companies were probably struggling or higher risk before COVID. And then if, if they've had their revenue impacted by COVID, they, there's perhaps been a change in customer uh, patterns, in purchasing patterns from that company. Um, people have gone online, whereas before they used to go in store. Mm. Um, they're going to have their revenue impacted, and that revenue is going to impact upon their performance. So they're likely to become, they're likely to certainly where they were struggling before, when they've been, if they're negatively impacted by COVID, just look out because mm, yeah. uh, you're just going to expect deteriorating performance, even more of a challenge to, to meet, the, you know, service that debt or, or attain those hurdles that were forming part of the goal and concern commentary. You know, it's just a, a totally different, uh, a much higher bar for these guys to achieve. So, you know, just be very careful in that in that those two spaces. That's that, yeah. that's why I kind of identified those two as as the ones to to focus on in COVID anyway. Yeah, sure. Yeah, fair enough. Um, now, Lottie, what advice would you give anyone out there who may find themselves trading with an insolvent company? Okay. All right. Um, well. I, well, I think uh, let me perhaps um, it's like that. it's trying to identify how how you how you would become aware or how you should feel or how you should think that someone is 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 insolvent. How do you know? Mm. I mean, let's say you're aware the business has, has lost some projects a few months ago and has not won any new contracts to replace them. You notice payments have become a bit erratic to you, and you've yeah. heard other suppliers are not getting paid and. Perhaps one long-term supplier to stop working with them. So, even though you don't have access to their their financial statements, you've never had them. You, you know, I think putting those factors together, you know, this cluster type approach, you should be concerned here that they're solvent in my in my view. Um, so, if you believe if you if you put those set of circumstances together the cluster if you want so if you believe it then if you think oh this potentially could be insolvent mm -hmm. uh then you should really you know you know i'd be suggesting you you probably undertake the, some of the, the you undertake a few actions i mean first one i would say is is cease all supply on on credit immediately um, because uh if you think they're insolvent um you know you there's a there's a high risk you're not going to get paid on credit um I'd probably call the company and, and, and share share my concerns. You know, advise you're happy to continue to support the company going forward, but but not on credit. Uh, yeah. Give it given what you've heard, given what you're seeing, but but on cash terms. Um, if you've got that outstanding, try and reach an agreement on how that's going to be repaid. Um, the repayment, you know, the repayment of that debt should tie in with ongoing supply. I think that's normally a good. A good uh, avenue to pursue to get that debt paid. 
uh, and just say, look, once all the debts repay, then we can revisit the situation around around reestablishing credit. Um, if you've got if you've got these clauses in your contracts, I'd consider lodging ca- caveats mm-hmm. over property, director's property. You know, if you're thinking they're potentially insolvent. And probably the last one is more around our space. I mean, if you're credit insured and you've got a debt outstanding, reach out to your credit insurer to share your concerns. Uh, and, and most importantly, after doing that, reach agreement on the next actions to minimize loss. Um, you know, this must be done before reaching agreement on how the debt will be repaid mm. or before commencing supply on cash terms. You know, it, it, the, if the debt's insured, just just make sure you uh, you, you discuss with your insurer and, and and reach an agreement on how to minimise loss. Uh, Lloyd, you work in an area of a tradius where the risks need to be more closely managed. So usually buyers that have gotten into trouble, they're struggling to pay their debts. I remember when I first started in a tradius many moons ago, it used to be called, affectionately called, the intensive care unit, and I thought, geez, I don't remember getting a medical degree. <laughs> I'm getting a medical yeah. degree to work at an insurance company. Yeah, what, what, but, yeah. Uh, jokes aside, it was called ICU and now special risk because it's a place where we not only manage the buyers closely, but we try and help revive their business through managed support. Can you tell us a little bit about how you determine which buyers qualify as special risks today? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I think special risk is to cover both sides of the fence. I mean, ICU is a pretty good... Um, is a pretty good term for it because we are looking at companies who uh, represent an increased probability default from from the ongoing underwriting side and the special risks. So we consider these to be special risks in terms of higher value, higher risk. So that's where the special risk comes in. And and on the we've also got the recovery side too, where we're trying to to manage or or, or manage out a situation where we're trying to get debts repaid. So that's where the special risk comes in. So. On the first side of it, in terms of how do we how do we identify cases or, or companies which meet the criteria, then as, as I mentioned before, it's, it's ones where our assessment is an increased prob- probability of default, usually loss making or about or should be commencing a turnaround strategy. You know, typically we see issues with debt. You know, as I mentioned before in the first question, we see issues with debt. We see covenant breaches, servicing that debt. There's a refinancing risk ahead of them you know they got to they got to refinance their debt in say four or five months and you know their, their performance is deteriorated so we're concerned they're able to do it maybe they've got a, a large bullet payment um and, and we're concerned that they're not able they're not able to make it so from their existing cash flow or li- liquidity that we see as uh, we see as available to them so that's kind of where we take take uh, companies in and continue underwriting them mary um, there's also cases where customers notify us of uh, delayed payments. Um, again, going to the third, the, the, the third example I gave around some of the the early warning signs. This is usually more acute. This is usually, you know, this is the late payments one, and 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 you, this is usually a more of acute situation that the company's already facing liquidity issues and struggling to support pay its suppliers we need to have a good look you know when this happens you know we just think right okay we need to find out what's happening or have a good look under the hood so to speak uh find out what's ha- find out what the situation is you know from there we look at ways we can continue supporting the business um but also you know more importantly we're trying to find ways we can minimize the potential loss for 
for our insured customer, make sure they get their, de- their debt repaid and reduced. Um, but also, we also want to make sure that the, the relationship maintains. So we don't really want them to lose a customer either. So, you know, this normally we normally look at ways we can we can we can continue supply. We enter repayment plans. We sometimes uh, try and negotiate security or, or or kind of last 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 uh, option for us is uh, is to pursue the company legally. Um, Lordy, I've got you a know, question. Um, in, yeah. in a scenario like that where you've got a business in trouble and you are trying to sort of support the struggling business, can you get access to their financials? Will they provide that at times, the buyers? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, gen- generally speaking, well, if, if, yeah, I mean, when it comes into our underwriting yes. area, yeah. um, the first thing we do is reach out reach out to the company and say, look, this is this has moved into our special risks area. You know, we, we need to see how you're doing. We need to see how you're managing the situation. You know, can you share us, you know, your most up-to-date information? We have a conversation with them so we try and understand what they're doing to turn the company around. And, and then we form a view as to whether we think they're going to do it or not. But yeah. for an integral part of that is, is sharing more up-to-date information with us. Do you, you get know, scenarios quarterly numbers. Do you get scenarios forecasts? Where, yeah, we get forecasts and all this kind of stuff. And do, them. do sometimes do the buyers refuse to supply those financials? Uh, yeah, sometimes. But but if, if they do, we tend to tend to strong arm them mm. a little bit. Okay. If they do, um, if they try that, because we say, okay, well, if if you're going to take that approach, we we need information yes. to be able to support you, um, support your continued supply. So, you know, if, if you're not going to share the information with us, then we're not going to be able to support you. Yes, That's no, kind of the approach no. that we take. I should do that I mean, in collections. I'm, I should do that in collections. Sorry? Yeah, I mean, on, on, <laughs> on the recovery side, I mean, yeah, sometimes, you know, normally we just, we just get, we're just trying to negotiate in a plan which you think is acceptable, which isn't a reasonable scale and whatever. But sometimes we're, we're presented with a really long plan and we're like, oh, what is this? We, uh, you know, these guys stretching us out are they are they really being genuine are they really paying us back as quickly as they can or paying the customer back as quickly as they can so sometimes we we ask to see okay let's have a look at your cash flow forecast that's yeah. what's that talking about what's happening in their business and and how much cash they expect to be generating from ongoing trade how are they you know we need to understand how they're going to repay the customer you know yeah. is it from yeah. is it from collection of debt is it from ongoing supplies is it a refinance is it the, in my opinion is it the dreaded Oh, we did going to go to an IPO and they're going to pay you off because, you know, ninety nine times out of ten that never happens. Um, yes, yeah, so it's so, getting a realistic picture from them, and that's why even in our earlier podcasts with collections, we spoke about that. While this is a buyer for our customer, they almost become a customer of ours because we are there to support them as well. So our ongoing support of credit insurance also helps them. So getting a realistic picture of where they sit helps us to then manage that a bit better and almost become a crutch for them in a way, really. Yeah, like it's not in, our, it's not in anyone's interest for the, these businesses to go down. So yeah, we want to keep the business, we want to keep the business alive. We want to keep our customers supplying. Uh, we want to keep our customers' relationship going. We just want to keep everything going until everything's back to a, you know, until you work out, you know, and, and everything from there, you t- you just take, you know, you just breathe a sigh of relief, it's done, and then we, you know, everyone just moves on. So that's kind of the approach that we take on it. Um, 
yeah, so that's it. So hopefully that's yeah. you know that's a good outcome for all. If if you get through the repayment plan, everyone gets there. Everyone gets their, uh, the, the, the customer gets their debt repaid, the buyer's able to, you know, to continue with, with the important supply they get in, um, and uh, they're able to, to get themselves out of a difficult situation. Fantastic. Uh, now, Lloydy, you also manage this unit with your team, not only in Australia and New Zealand, but across Asia, Africa, and Middle East. Uh, can you talk yeah. to us about any differences you've seen how buyers are managed in these various regions? All right. Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, of course. I'll, I'll start with, um, no, actually, I'll just say rather generally the principles. I mean, you know, we do what we can to prevent a loss or an insolvency failure of the buyer or, or, or the company in distress. Um, but there are some material differences in the information available to us, you know, and how we take legal action, we take security, or even the existence of an insolvency framework. Um, something that's fundamental of that is, is, is different in these regions. In Australia, you know, as most of the listeners will know here, I mean, we've got, you know, we've gone in, we've got a well-established insolvency framework. Uh, we've got, you know, the proposal for the, you know, the, the what do you call the abridged, if you want, or the shortcut uh, insolvency for smaller companies, you, you know, with, with liabilities less than a million dollars. We've got this being introduced. So, you know, we've got a pretty well-established insolvency framework mm-hmm. here. We've got, I would say, we've got a, you know, a, a, a functioning legal system. I mean, not now because it's COVID, sure. but, you know, gen, you know, in normal circumstances, yeah, like- we've, got a, we've got a functional legal system where you can resolve disputes, pursue debts, um, you know, and I would say to, it's reasonably reliable and we recognize the existence of precedents and case law and stuff like that. So, so you know, Australia is, is reasonably well. You've got listed companies. You've got, even if you haven't got listed companies, sharing information and updates. You've still got companies, you know, getting, sharing, audit, getting their accounts audited with professional auditors and sharing that with you. And then you get, and you get all the going concern commentary or not this kind of stuff so you understand the accounting bases and all this kind of stuff so australia is is a pretty reliable place stable place in which to to operate um i can't say that's the same for the other reason other regions i deal with uh you know like middle east for one i mean there's no insolvency framework whatsoever i mean taking legal action in the courts local courts is slow costly and I think the outcome is is, is more like a raffle uh, or a toss of a coin. Oh um, honestly, it really is. The, the judges, the judges that the judges that have criminal law experience and simply not. I don't think they're qualified or got the experience to handle some of the more complicated corporate disputes between parties. They can be pretty, they can be pretty complex. So, so they rely on experts to inform them. Now, again, these experts are they experts? <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, so, so that, that's kind of the issue in the Middle East, and 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 sometimes supplies sometimes request security mm-hmm. there in the form of uh, post-dated checks from the owners, um, the owners to secure the payment, the owners of the business to secure the payment. I mean, that's one of the things old we school. see. What? Sorry, I said that's old school. That yeah. is really old school. Um, that is, and and you know, and why do they do it? Well, you know, in the absence of any civil law or ability to pursue companies for unpaid debts, it's, it's, 
you know, bouncing a check is seen as a criminal offence in these countries. Therefore, if you if you bounce a check, if you if you bounce a check, then you're off to jail. Wow. So, wow. so that's a so that's a pretty uh, a significant deterrent. Um, but you know, I, you know, and I certainly wouldn't want to be bouncing checks around town. <laughs> but the question is, does the punishment fit the crime? You know, I mean, you know, if someone doesn't pay you, you've got some postdated checks out there. Whoa, you know, all of a sudden you've got to start writing new checks or stay on top of everything or whatever. You know, it's a real mess. So, so what we see, what you know, we, what we see, like in the Middle East, you know, a lot of the business is done um, by Indians. So, what do they do? You know, where they where they where they know they're going to bounce a check, they just run, they right. <laughs> they flee, they get out of town. Um, God. So they, they they typically head back to India, and, and, and but what they do, they abandon the business. You yeah. know, they sell, they go, oh, I'm in trouble here. I'm going to sell down the, all the assets as cheaply as I can. I'll sell them for the inventory. I'll sell it for eighty percent, sixty percent cash, and just take the cash with them and gone. So it, it really, it really, uh, it, it doesn't help sometimes. You know, they. they um, so the business that, that can just the business can sort of just collapse overnight if oh just get just get yeah owner. just get uh, if if the if the owner knows there's some issues with if the owner knows there's some issues with some um, postdated checks about the bounce and he'll end up with the police with being a file with the police and the police will come knocking around on his door wow he just sees oh I can see that I can see the writing on the wall I can start liquidating my assets even though they're not his. You know, uh, you know, the you know, suppliers, his stock, or whatever. I'm start liquidating this and prepare to get out of town. Be funny before... if he if he paid for his cab to the airport with a postdated check and got his uh, airplane ticket with a postdated check as well, and then he's that's <laughs> well, innovation, you... Dave. That's innovation. Well, <laughs> what I would say though, I'd say though, those taxi drivers are pretty savvy. They yeah. won't get caught like that, no, like, no. Uh, like you or us. You know, they they be taking cash. They won't be mugging around taking a postdated check. <laughs> So, so that's the Middle East. Very interesting. I mean, Asia, um, Asia is a huge, of course, yeah. and uh, you know, the, you know, each market is different. Uh, you know, in terms of the information available and the recovery op- opportunities or options that we have, um, but generally, given the abs- in, in Asia and the Middle East, in the absence of an insolvency framework or functioning legal framework, you know, our approach is to. You know, we believe maintaining the relationship between our customer and its customer, the buyer, mm-hmm. is everything. You know, if you stay relevant and you're able to work out a repayment plan around further supply and maintain the relationship and your prospects of getting your money back are, are greatly enhanced compared to the runaway scenario where you've got nothing. So, so we really do focus in the, you know in this region on recoveries. We really do focus on trying to stay relevant, um, make sure that the customers talking to the to the debtor, the buyer, that you know they're still supplying. You know because the minute that relationship's gone, our ability to recover uh, diminishes or falls off a cliff very yeah. quickly. Yeah, and that that's a theme that we've come back to time and time again. That maintaining the relationship with the buyer, whether it's the, our customer, the supplier, maintaining that relationship and knowing their buyer really well, or in fact, whether it's our collections team maintaining a relationship with the buyer, or in your case, our special risks team, that relationship is quite important because it shows yeah. the buyer that we're prepared to work with them. There's no need to run. We can take our time here a little bit within reason, of course. So that's a recurring theme. But um, yeah. 
Yeah, if we just come back a bit closer to home a little bit, we've talked before in our podcasts about insolvency holidays being given by various governments around the world. And one of the issues that nobody has spoken about yet, and I think it's because it's uh, it's a too hard basket item, is how liquidators will determine what is and isn't a preferential claim. Uh, can we get your thoughts or pieces of advice you can give companies about how to protect themselves given that there's this lack of clarity around that issue. Okay. All right. No, you're, you're right. We really haven't seen much – well, we, we haven't seen much activity yet, but I'm sure we will. Um, this is, you know, my opinion is that uh, – like, I've not seen anything in the legislation that refers to or impacts what is or is what, what is not a preference payment. Therefore, like, I don't think – I don't expect to see any changes by the liquidators – um, and it'll be business as usual for them. You know, they'll identify they'll identify payments that have been made. Um, you know, within within the six months prior to the date of loss. You know, they'll go through the usual routine. Um, so, so you know, they they they'll, they'll take their usual approach with it. And, and and what we see, unfortunately, in a lot of instances, this is the only way they're going to get paid from an appointment. So. So they're going to pursue these debts. They're going to pursue these debts uh, when when they get the opportunity. Which yeah. So yeah, but I think I think it's highly unfair actually because you know the government has changed the legislation to allow company directors to trade whilst insolvent, um, but at the same time, expecting companies to trade with with potentially insolvent companies, but not afford the same support to unsecured creditors and get those creditors pursued after the event by liquidators yeah, strikes me as, as as unfair there may be a point of legislation that's been missed so yeah I mean that's that's uh, you know that's my view on that I mean how do you, how can you protect yourself mm. you, you know your last point was how do you protect yourself from preference payments um, a couple of things um, first one uh, probably if you're supplying goods that are identifiable um, Establish your PIMZ rights uh, in your contracts and register on the PPSR. You know that that's a pretty, you know that that makes good credit practice, whether you're insured or not. Um, there's a growing legal argument that you're a secured creditor as a PIMZ holder, and preference payments only relate to unsecured creditors. So if you're a secured creditor, then you know you've got a very good argument to see that you're not subject to any preference payments. It's a bit more complicated. It's a bit, a bit more complicated than that um, because it comes down to the amount of secured amount of uh, the amount of debt that was secured. Mm -hmm. But but you don't have an argument unless you establish your you you establish your PIMSI rights and register them on the PPSR register. So you know that's a, a pretty important one for me for anyone supplying goods on credit, which they can identify. Uh, the second one, it's a bit corny, I know this isn't a Tradius podcast, but take out a, a credit insurance policy for the Tradius. Um, <laughs> there it is, the ad, finally. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. I know, we're, we're on question four, is it, or five? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, look, we, we, we provide insurance for preference payments, losses, up to the value of the credit on the buyer. So, you know, if you are unsecured and you trade, unknowingly with an, ins with an insolvent company and you get pinged for a preference payment. You can, you can submit a claim. You can submit a subsequent, you can submit a claim for the first loss 
And then obviously there's two years, or I can't remember, it's two or three years after the date of loss. I mean, after the insolvency or two years, you can submit a subsequent claim for the additional loss you suffer due to preferences. So Preference claims, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, you know, you, we ensure that stuff for you. Um, it's a hazard of doing business, unfortunately, and, and, and that, that's, that forms part of your policy with us. Um, third one, you know, I mean, trade on cash terms. I mean, this is the only other, probably the only other real reliable way around it. You know, it, this may avoid, this will certainly avoid preference payments, but the problem is it can seriously limit your limit your ability to do business with, with sure. uh, your customers. If you switch everything to cash, you know, they, there's a lot of, you can lose a lot of business and customers. So not really the best option. You could also hide the cash under the bed, avoid banks on time. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in Lloydie, your Spider-Man suit, Dave. Hide it in your Spider-Man suit. <laughs> now, Lloydie, we see more and more press articles and discussions focusing on zombie companies, a term that I love. Um, now, a zombie yeah, company. Sure yeah, I do. A zombie company is one that's unable to cover, recover its debts from current profits. Do you see many of these companies in your day to day, and do you think it will become a bigger issue in the future? Okay, day to day. Like, but actually, I like the phrase "zombie companies" yeah. too. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my my first experience of the phrase "zombie companies" related to Japanese corporates mm-hmm. in. Um, in the early 20s, yeah, 2000s. And these were businesses which could not repay or service their debt by the Japanese banks. As a shareholder of these companies, which is which is the way in Japan, just kept on rolling over the loans in the hope that the company's fortunes would pick up, the economic environment would pick up, and they start repaying and servicing the debt. You know, it's a, it was an incredible waste of uh, capital, pretty highly inefficient. Uh, in Australia, more recently, of course, uh, for, you know, it relates to two things, in my opinion, the zombie companies. It's those companies that can't meet their commitments and their creditors are prevented from winding them up in court or, if you want, putting a bullet between their eyes um, <laughs> due to the changes in legislation introduced uh, yeah. by the government. I knew you'd like that one, yeah, Benny. It's good but, stuff. But, yeah, you can't, you can't kill them. You yeah. know, they can't, they can't be put to bed. You can't, yeah. you can't put them underground, whatever. Um because of the changes in, in the government changed in legislation through to, to 20. So these guys are just stumbling on and everyone's waiting, um, waiting for their opportunity. Um, that's one type. Uh, the other one is those companies which whose business has been negatively impacted by COVID and they can't meet their lending obligations. You know, the banks have allowed these companies to defer loans, um, but obviously, as we all know, this is not going to be sustainable in the long term as we go into 2021. The banks are going to start calling these in. Uh, they're going to say enough is enough. And then uh, everyone's going to realize that the business is not sustainable post-COVID. You know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a change of customer patterns, payment patterns, purchasing patterns, whatever it is. You know, I think if the bank decides this company is not going to be able to repay its loan based upon you know, what the company looks like post-COVID, then I think they're going to take action on those ones. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, just recently, I was just looking at some of the, um, just in the recent report this season, I was looking at some of the um, the loan deferrals from, from the banks. I noticed the NZ, smallest of the big four, recently had 10,000 frozen business loans um, wow. with, a C, with a CBA had 
CBA the largest, they had 31,000 deferred loans with a total value of 4 billion. Yeah. 4 billion Aussie, you know, in and value. Thing, so, yeah. you know, there's huge numbers here that I've seen all the banks pushing up their ex, their provisions. I mean, how, you know, 4 billion like for the CBA is not going to go down, but it's no. a certain percentage is, you know, based upon, based upon, you know, historical uh, experiences. Yes, and they've but got shareholders and everything. So at the end of the day, they're there to make a money, you know, make profit. So at a certain point, the, the banks surely will say, you know, we can't continue like freezing loans, like it's not sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Well, suppliers, suppliers will say the same thing. How yeah. long do we keep waiting? Um, well, there's long repayment plans. How long do you? Yeah, yeah. There's the two. Yeah, it's the two things. The one is the suppliers, is is the creditors, which is the first point I mentioned. So we've got the company legislation ending 31st of December. So you know you're going to get people put in bullet between company's yeah. eyes, if, yep. so to speak. Or, or that, just lopping the head off, Lloydie. Just lopping oh, the head off. Oh, that's the other way, is it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Probably not as Great. gruesome. Um, coming from a collections person, that's a bit extreme. I know, I know. <laughs> I have to, I have to, uh, thank, God, thank God we don't let you out the office. Very he's, often. Forgotten about, um, he's forgotten about the empathy and relationship maintenance. Yeah. I know, I, I know. To, what about that relationship with your debtors? I have been? to go back and look that up in the dictionary, empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Starts with an E. Um, the, and then, okay, you've got the creditors, you've got the banks, of course, Um you know, they, they're going to take action. You know, they're a commercial organization. They're probably under a little bit of pressure from government to do the right thing, and they're doing it already, as we know. Um, but the, the major, you know, that, that's pretty clear. I mean, the major unknown for me is 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 the impact on JobKeeper, on, on companies. Uh, if, I just don't, I, I struggle to get a feel for how companies are using it, how it's impacting them. Um, what's going to happen when the stimulus drops off at the end of March? I mean, our company's going to, you know, which company is going to be, is okay without it, or which company's benefiting from it, which company, you know, so you see some companies um, paying dividends out of it, which I have to say, you know, is, is a bit uh, unsavory in my mind. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's naughty. Um <laughs> But I think yeah, I agree. I, yeah that's I agree, the thing Lord. we don't know yeah. is is the is the impact of of, uh, of the jobkeeper stuff on companies. Yeah. We just it really is an, a, a highly untrans, untransparent. I think so. We've yeah, got to yeah. watch that we space too. Yeah. Well, from uh, your experience in managing, you've had a lot of experience managing debt repayment plans and helping resuscitate some debtors and buyers through through ongoing um, support of the trade. What kind of companies? again, from your experience, are the ones that come out of this stronger? What attributes or traits do they have or you look for in deciding uh, to provide this ongoing support? Mm, okay, it's an interesting one. All right, okay. I think we, we need to, I think, as I said earlier, we, we let's have a look under the hood. Let's see what's going on. Let's see if we can find out what's caused the issue. You know, is it a, is it a temporary shock, uh, perhaps an insolvency of a, of a, of a major customer? Is it a regulatory issue, a structural issue, um, user result? You know, a regulatory issue, yeah, or a structural issue in the business, probably as a sequence of a number of poor management decisions, mm-hmm. poor investment, lack of controls. Have they expanded too quickly? Is competition intense and 
you know so we need to understand what what the um what the we think is the the issue or underlying issues um you know and then we look at okay we understand the issue then we look at what prospects there are for the business uh taking into account its existing balance sheet uh, and operating position and whether it's likely to have the support of its stakeholders going forward to through the lenders um and then we, we'll, we'll have a look at what we consider to be the expected future cash flows in the environment uh, and, and, we'll, and where and how that debt will be repaid. So going back to your question, yeah, we do have to. We do have to see which ones we can support or not. We do request updated numbers. We do form a view on where the, where, where the, where the future revenue is coming from and who's going to support it. So. Yeah, so, the, so they're the ones, you know, taking all that stuff into account is, uh, so it's the cause, then we work out how they're going to, what the current situation is, are they going to get the support they need, and are they going to get the, you know, are they going to take the measures that they say they're going to do to repay the debt or, or continue in business. So so they're, 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 they're the views that we take, uh, take into account before deciding which ones we think we can support or not. And our general view is less less support rather than not because the insolvency route means you know it's a severe loss typically. You know if you feel relying on dividends, you know unless you've got some security like uh, the Pinsy or something, which that can make your position a lot stronger. Uh, but generally speaking, you know the companies who are larger uh, with stronger balance sheets, they're just more likely to get. They're more likely to receive support from shareholders. Uh, they're also more likely to be given a second chance or whatever. So, so those companies generally we're going to be more supportive of um, if they have a reasonable revenue, cash flow prospects. And so, if you've got a stronger balance sheet, if you've got a stronger balance sheet, a bigger company, and you've got reasonable revenue, cash flow prospects, then yeah, we're in. So that's kind of. Uh, so there we go, you know that that one, and and the other thing we try and take into account is is the um, a bit of a qualitative issue is uh, is the management capability. Mm-hmm. Does the management do we think the management has the ability to develop a robust and sustainable plan so that they can turn things around? Do they have the skills to execute the plan? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you don't think if you've got concerns over that, then you're going to be you're going to take a pretty cautious view about what support you give to the company going forward. Um, you know, you're only going to give what support you absolutely must give, I guess, to keep the company in business. Um, but that's not something we can decide straight away. You know, it's something we continue with and form our view over time. You know, as we work with buyers, companies, and you know, things start to go wrong, and we say, "What happened?" And then you say, "Oh, that's pretty fundamental. How did that happen?" So you tend to form a view over time on on these kind of things. Yeah, that's more of a softer decision, isn't it? You've got to sort of... Yeah, yeah. that yeah. takes a little bit of time. I mean, if the, guy, if the view, managing director is down the track the every week, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If the managing Sorry, director's down, if the managing director's down the racetrack every week, you know, <laughs> he's blowing thousands upon thousands. Like that, yeah. <laughs> well, it would have been this week, um, Finney. <laughs> yeah. And it would have been, it would have yeah. been okay. <laughs> exactly. Who just it? Yeah, they yeah, say, but, why aren't you? But yeah, I don't know. Even in... I don't know. In a turnaround, turnaround situation, I don't know. You've got to do what you've got to do. I think exactly. Yeah, but we've seen we've seen a fair few companies come out of this special risks and actually, 
yeah, start trading again normal. So it's not, not an area where companies go and just fall off the cliff. I mean, there's a lot of activity that happens and a lot of advice and a lot of constant uh, relationship maintenance. And there are buyers that actually do survive all of this. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think there are. I mean, the turnaround normally takes probably, it depends what it is, of course. It, you know, if it's a temporary issue, you know, they haven't been paid by someone, then, okay, they're going to have to replace that replace that revenue and cash hit somewhere else and that's going to take a while but if it's a structural issue uh, you know that you know they've some poor investments and the industry's turned against them it's competitive they made some poor investment you know these kind of stuff take a longer time to turn around this their two to three year job is mm-hmm. our experience uh, if it's you know they, they, they've got if it comes into us and there's a you know, they do, they've got a, a refinance risk. They've got to make a large bullet payment. You know, it can come in and out in six to 12 months because, you know, they, they've sought shareholder support or whatever. They found ways to get the money together. They recapitalize the balance sheet in a relatively short space of time. And, and it's hunky-dory and away you go again. And then, that, you know, that stuff goes out of, out of our area again. And, and, you know, we focus on something else that may, may or may not come in. Yeah, well, that's a good uh, good time to end it on a survival mode in mm. that case. Um, but that's another podcast wrap. Thanks, Lloydie, for your insights okay. this week. It's been no great. Um, I hope everybody out there listening did find that valuable. But feel free to reach out to us if you do want any more information. Next week, we've got another external guest, which I'm a bit excited about. So until then, I'm going to say goodbye, stay safe, and enjoy the week. And I'll say right. thank you yeah. very much for having me. And Lloydie, thank you very much for coming on. And thank you, Mary, for having me as well. All right. Thank you. Thank all. you, Thanks guys. For your Enjoy your week. Thank you. All right. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.